Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And uh, Davin, thank you for inviting me. I'm having the music been wonderful tonight. Let's thank the Lord for all of our musicians. Amen. Amen. I thank the Lord for good music because I've heard bad music before. And when I hear good music, I like it. Amen. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> and that was good. Uh, boy, it's been a crazy year, has it not? And this election goes with the year, doesn't it? It's just crazy. But the Lord is on his throne. So I want to talk to you tonight about uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. And, you know, I've been eating too much. My button's not doing real good. I, I hope that doesn't pop off and hit somebody. Brother, you better cover your eyes because that could, <laughs> it could put your eye out if that thing popped off. I want you to know that, all right? I believe with all of my heart that the way you know where your walk with the Lord is, there's one primary place where you can look. And I think probably many of you know what I'm about to say. But it's your prayer life. If you love someone, you talk with them. Isn't that right? If you say that you love somebody and you never talk with them, I'm not talking about talking at them or to them. I'm talking about with them, talk with them. You listen and you communicate. If there's no communication, there's no love. If you really love somebody, isn't that right? You talk with them. Now, if you don't talk with people, I, I'm not mad at you, but you don't love them as much as you think. And if you love somebody, you talk not only with them, but you talk about them in a good way. Now think about that in the Christian life. If you love Jesus Christ, you talk with him. You read his word, and as you're reading his word, you hear his voice. And I believe God also speaks to us through the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. Anything that the Lord says to you through the Holy Spirit will always be scriptural, all right? It will be in keeping with scripture. So God speaks to us. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And so God talks to us through scripture, but he also talks to us through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When you have a prompting to share the gospel with somebody with all due respect, that didn't come from you. That was God talking to you, saying, witness to that person. When you feel like you're supposed to give somebody something. How many of you have ever felt prompted to give somebody something? Uh, raise your hand. Anybody out there? Look at me. That didn't come from you. You're too selfish. Right? And what I have to do is when the Lord prompts me to give somebody something, i got to do it before I talk myself out of it. Right? So the Lord talks to us. And we talk to him, and when we do that, we know that's because of that love relationship. And if you don't talk with the Lord, and if he's not talking with you, by the way, he talks to people who talk to him. I'll get to that in a minute. But you don't love the Lord the way you, you should. Your prayer life really is the bottom line litmus test on where you are with the Lord. Now, anybody can come and preach on prayer and make you feel guilty. That's not my job. I'm here to help you. I want to show you a guy in the Bible. He's one of the few men, the few people that the Bible doesn't say anything negative about. You say, Jesus, well, obviously, the Bible didn't say anything negative about Jesus, but I'm talking about a sinner like you and me, Daniel. Everybody turn to the book of Daniel. In just a moment, we'll be in chapter 9, verse 23. Daniel was a young man when the Babylonians came in. Nebuchadnezzar had sent his armies there, and he was taken out with many of the young men whose parents were probably slain during that time, and he was taken as a prisoner to Babylon when he was a teenager. And he was probably made a eunuch. He never married, 
And here's a man who lived well into his 80s. And he survived king after king after king. In fact, he went not only through the Babylonian period, but also into the Medo-Persian period. And he just kept on. He was like the energizer bunny. What was his secret? Every day, now think about it, every day, not just once in a while, every day he prayed three times a day. I want to say this to you, don't get mad at me. The reason you may not be praying the way you should is because prayer is not a priority for you. We do what we think is the most important, right? And so we just don't make time for prayer like we should. But our whole life will be different if we start praying. Things are different after you pray than they were before you prayed. So I want to talk to you. I want to ask you a question. Does prayer really make a difference? Now, everybody in here that loves the Lord, you say, yes, it does. Well, let me ask you, is prayer really making a difference in your life? Is God using the vehicle of prayer in your life, in your family, I want to say this, you can change the world by praying. I'll go a little farther. You can help shape history with your prayers. I'll go a little farther. You can be what I call a spiritual spark plug that will bring about revival. How many of you believe that we need an awakening, a spiritual awakening in America's churches? Does anybody believe that? I got both hands up. I've been preaching for over 40 years. And I'm telling you, we need a fresh movement of God. We need the real thing, like we read about in the book of Acts and even in the life of Daniel. Again, Daniel is one of the few people in the Bible The Bible has absolutely nothing negative to say about. Daniel survived being taken away as a captive, and he goes to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and he's he's there with his three buddies who got named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through the fire and all of that, and Nebuchadnezzar was, was, he just really, liked Daniel because Daniel helped him walk through a very difficult time when when Nebuchadnezzar literally lost his mind and had to go out and he was like a wild animal for a while and and it was Daniel that God used to bring him through a lot of that and then he went on and he survived Nebuchadnezzar and his son and then his grandson if you go and you don't, don't turn there, just stay in chapter 9. I'll get there in just a minute. I'm walking to chapter 9. But on the way, I want to tell you what happened in chapter 5. There's a guy named Belshazzar who is the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. These are Babylonian kings. Belshazzar was a spoiled, rotten grandchild. And he was so arrogant and so full of himself and so full of sin. The last night of the Babylonian regime, he was surrounded, Babylon was surrounded by tens of thousands of Medo-Persian soldiers. And they were trying to get into Babylon. And so what does the king do? He throws a party for a thousand people. I want to say this to you. When you throw a party and your whole nation is about to go down, you're not thinking very, very spiritually or very sanely, and you're certainly not being a good leader. So he, everybody's getting drunk. Everybody's going nuts. And he 
crosses a line. How many of you know that you can cross a sacred line and God stands up and does something, amen? What did he do? He took, he said, hey, you know those cups, those golden cups that my grandfather got from the temple in Jerusalem. Go get those and we are going to have a toast. We're going to drink wine and toast the gods of Babylon. Bad idea. Bad idea. You know what happened? How many of you ever heard the the phrase, the writing on the wall? Anybody? Well, it came out of this incident. Guess what? God's hand shows up. And God starts writing on the wall. And Belshazzar looks at the writing and he can't figure out what it's saying. Maney, maney, take a loop arson. Can't figure out what it is. And so he calls all the wise men. Have you ever noticed in that most of the wise men in the Bible that they called in the secular wise men, they were not that wise? <laughs> I mean, I would have fired every one of them. I'm telling you, they, they never get it right, all right? I mean, they can't, they can't discern anything. I mean, why, why, did, why did Pharaoh keep those guys on the payroll? Why didn't he let them go? I mean, why the only real wise men that did anything good were around when Jesus was around, okay? But I'm talking about back in the Old Testament. And so they come, they can't figure out what the writing on the wall is. And so his mother, who's the daughter Nebuchadnezzar says to her son, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. This is Daniel 5, 11 and 12. Don't let your thoughts alarm you or let your face be pale. There's a man, one man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. He has an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight. O king, let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. Now, why was Daniel the only one in whom there was a spirit of the holy gods? Why was Daniel the one who possessed an extraordinary spirit, an extraordinary knowledge, an extraordinary insight? Again, it's because for over six decades, over 60 years, three times a day, God heard him crying out as he was facing toward Jerusalem with the windows open he would cry out to God he didn't do he didn't open the windows for people to hear him he just opened the windows because God had said if you'll if you'll open your windows and you'll face Jerusalem and you'll pray from a foreign country I'll hear you and he took God literally and he just cried out to God oh God have mercy on your people oh God have mercy on your people we are a wicked people oh God have mercy on us bring us back to the promised land how many of you believe that we need prayer warriors like that in America amen This guy's crying out to God. Over 65,000 times he talked with the Lord. I want to say this to you. You got to heaven and you'd already talked to the Lord 65,000 times. I believe you would know the voice of the Lord. Amen? And so this guy was a prayer warrior. He's crying out to God. And God liked it. He spoke to kings. He shut the mouths of lions. God did because of that. God gave him visions for the future, including the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, Daniel saw things and experienced things that other people didn't just because he made prayer a priority in his life. I'm telling you, there is more to the Christian life than the average Christian knows. There is more to God than the average Christian knows. And the real action in the Christian life is in the prayer closet. You're all by yourself with God. It's just you and God. That's where you do business. And that's where God starts speaking. And that's where God starts ministering to you as you minister to him in prayer. See, we want to minister to everybody. We want to minister this way. Look at me. Don't try to minister this way until you minister that way in prayer. And then he ministers to you with power. And now when I go out, now I've got an anointing. Now I've got some power. Now I've got something from God to give, an impartation to give to somebody else. Don't go out there and try to just give them something that you have that God didn't give you. Go out there after you've been with God and the glow of God and the power of God and the anointing of God and the touch of God and the favor of God will be on your life. Friend, that's what 
America is needing. They need people to show up to minister to people who beforehand have ministered to God in prayer. Are you ministering to God? Daniel, minister to the Lord in prayer. Now you say, where do you get that phrase, ministering to the Lord? Have you ever read about those prophets in Acts chapter 13? The Bible said there were five of them in Antioch and they were ministering to the Lord. And while they were ministering to the Lord, God said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for me. Listen to me. The early church was not birthed in a business meeting. It was birthed in a prayer meeting, a 10-day prayer meeting. And the missions that we call, the missions call of God did not get birthed in a business meeting or a convention of some Baptist group or something. It got birthed in a white, hot prayer meeting while they were ministering to the Lord in prayer. So that's where I get the phrase, ministering to the Lord. And then when you minister to other people, you've got something. You've got the power of God. Not just the intellect and the gifts of men. So Daniel, later on, was having his quiet time. I doubt his quiet time was as quiet as some of ours. I think he got a little happy in Jesus there. And in Jeremiah 25, he started reading that the people of Judah who had been exiled to Babylon were only going to be there for seven decades. And he started doing the math. He said, that's not too far away. And he, he says, you know, I'm going to start praying this back to the Lord. And so he starts praying this promise back to the Lord that God said, I'm going to bring my people back. And uh, he's, the Bible says in Daniel 9, Verse 3, he said, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now look at me. Fasting throws your prayer into high gear. Fasting is doing without food for a meal or two meals or three meals or whatever God tells you to do. You say, well, I can't fast. I take medicine. Look at me. Yours truly takes medicine too. Anybody can miss one meal. In fact, it would do you a lot of good just to miss a meal, all right? Not even fast, just going to miss a meal, okay? <laughs> just a thought, okay? <laughs> but when you fast during that time, you pray and read the Bible. That's what fasting is. That's all it is, but that is what it is, and we don't do it enough. And Jesus said, my servants will fast, you should be fasting. And by the way, when the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name, in the New Testament we would say Christians, if my people called by my name will humble themselves, the word humble there is talking about fasting. Because when the Bible talks about the day of atonement, it was a day of humility, a day of fasting. Everybody, every year in the Jewish community in the Old Testament fasted at least one day a year. Look at me, you can fast and when you fast, it puts your prayers in another sphere. I don't know how to say it. I don't understand it. I, I, I can remember watching uh, some of those old movies where I was, uh, where, where was the guy, where was the guy that uh, did, did this and all that? What, what was the name of it? Spock, yeah, what was that? Star Trek, thank you very much. I'm getting old, I can't think sometime, all right? So, so Star Trek, yeah. And, and they would put it in warp speed or whatever, you remember that? They took that and boom, they were gone. That's what fasting does to your prayers. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. And so Daniel fasted, he prayed, and the Bible says, and I'm finally at my text, Daniel chapter 9, verse 23. This is out of the New Living Translation. One of the most beautiful texts I've ever seen in my life on prayer. Now this is Gabriel speaking. This is the same guy that talked to Mary about conceiving Jesus, all right? This, this is the real, this, this is a high-ranking angel who has been sent. And by the way, when you see prayer in the Bible, you see people being anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you also see God sending angels to give them words and visions. Now listen, the moment you began praying, he's talking to Daniel, the moment you began praying, Daniel, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand 
the meaning of your vision. Now let's go back to our original question and I'll try to work through as quickly as I can. Does prayer really make a difference? Does prayer really make a difference? All right, I say emphatically yes. Number one, prayer moves the hand of God. Say that with me, please. Prayer moves the hand of God. I know when we say that, some people say, I don't like that. We can't make God do anything. I didn't say we make him do anything. I'm just saying when we pray, God responds. God moves. Listen to chapter 9, verse 23 again. The moment you began praying, a command was given. God gave a command in response to your prayers. Listen, we pray like it matters because it matters. When you pray, God does things that he doesn't do if you don't pray. There are some things God's going to do whether we pray or not. How many of you believe that? Whether we pray or not, there's some things God's just going to do because he's God. But there are some things God will only do if you pray. And I'll say something else. There's some things God will only do if you pray and fast. Sometimes you have to take it to another level of fasting. And only the Holy Spirit can tell you when to kick in with fasting. But these prayers of one man move the hand of an almighty God. And you see this throughout the Bible. Let's just go back and think about Abraham. What about Abraham? He prayed and God rescued Lot from wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. But it was when Abraham prayed. Moses prayed and God sent 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. Moses prayed again and God parted the Red Sea. And then Joshua prayed. Now, sometimes people say, poor Joshua, he had to, I I thought I was falling off something here. Okay, great. Poor Poor Joshua, he had to follow Moses. Well, I want to say this to you. In my opinion, Joshua had a lot bigger prayer answered than Moses ever did. You say, what are you talking about? Moses prayed in the the Red Sea parted. They walked through on dry land. God closed it up on the Egyptians. What is greater than that? The Bible says one day Joshua was out in the field and they were attacking the enemy and the sun was about to set and the Bible says Joshua prayed and said, God, would you let the sun, would you let the world stop turning until we can slay our enemies and believe it or not, whether you believe it or not, it's in the Bible, the world stopped turning. I would say that's a little bit bigger than parting the Red Sea. God listened to Joshua when he prayed. Hannah prayed. Oh, how we need some praying Hannahs. And God gave her, supernaturally gave her a son named Samuel, who everybody knew was a judge and a leader. Everybody knew it from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. And every word that he spoke It did not fall down, but God fulfilled it. I want to say this to you. I'm praying for a national prophet in America. I'm praying for God to raise up a national prophet, and it would be a man like Samuel, who was the last of the judges and the first of the great prophets. Don't you think we need somebody in America to give us some spiritual leadership? I just ask you to pray with me on that, all right? Ask God to raise up a national prophet. Hannah prayed. We need some praying mothers that will pray up some godly sons and daughters. And then Elijah prayed. I'm talking about prayer moving the hand of God. Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven on Mount Carmel. I've been there 15 times and I look up and I see that statue of this great man of God and he's got a sword out and he's about to kill the prophets of Baal. But before that he had called down fire from heaven. Why? Because God answers prayer. Elisha, his disciple, Elijah's disciple prayed, and a little boy was raised from the dead. Jesus prayed. I said, Jesus prayed. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Anybody? Then start praying. Jesus prayed at his baptism, and the heavens were open. How many of you think that we need an open heaven over every church in America that believes the Bible? Anybody believe that? I want to tell you how you get an open heaven over your life. I want to tell you how you get an open heaven over your marriage and over your home and over your family and over your church and over your community. Start praying. That's what opens heaven. 
When you pray, God opens heaven. Jesus prayed at his baptisms, and the heavens were open, and the Spirit of God comes down. The Spirit of God does not come down on a prayerless church. The Spirit of God does not come down on a prayerless preacher or a prayerless singer. The Spirit of God does not come down on a prayerless deacon or a prayerless Sunday school teacher or a prayerless tither or a prayerless whatever. What good is a prayerless Christian? They usually do more damage than not. But when you pray, heaven opens. When you pray, You see what God can do instead of what man can do. I've seen what man can do. We don't need any more of what man can do. We need what God can do. We need to pray. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness. We're scared to fast four meals. He overcame the temptations of Satan. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 verse 35, In the early morning, while it was dark, he arose, he went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. What that means is he got up before the sun rose. He got up in what was called the fourth watch. He would pray between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Some of the best prayer time you will ever have in your life is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning, the fourth watch. You say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. It's called going to bed on time. You go to bed on time so you can get up on time so you can be with the Lord. Why would you want to enter a prayerless day? Why would you want to, if you have not, I want to say this to you, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but I'm just telling you, if you have not prayed today, thus far you have wasted today. A prayerless day is a wasted day. Why would you want to walk? Why would you want to let your fathers and mothers, why would you want your children to walk into a day that you've not prayed over for them? Man, we need to get with the program. We need to go to bed on time, get up on time, spend time with God. Prayer makes a difference. Jesus prayed. He had prayer retreats. He would often go into the wilderness and pray, Luke 5, 16. He prayed over a little boy's lunch. It's the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, and he fed 5,000 men plus their families with just a little boy's lunch after he prayed. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I want to ask you something. When's the last time you prayed so fervently that you broke a sweat? When's the last time you broke a sweat praying? Let's just stop right there for a second. You hear this quietness? I've been preaching 40 years. You know what this is? It's not a preacher. It's the Holy Spirit. He's asking you right now. You get in a sweat about politics. Get all riled up about ball games. When's the last time you broke a sweat? Jesus was sweating, and his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus prayed on the cross. How many sayings do we have of Jesus on the cross? Seven. Three of them are prayer. What are they? The first one, the first saying we have out of Jesus' mouth. At nine o'clock, what is that? That's the Jewish morning time of prayer. And Jesus knew what time it was. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the first thing out of his mouth. And by the way, nobody was asking for forgiveness. I know some Christians say, well, I'll ask, I'll give them forgiveness when they get down on their knees and ask for forgiveness. I got news for you, friend. The person who is in bondage when you don't forgive is not them, it's you. That doesn't mean you let somebody run over you. That doesn't mean you let somebody abuse you or do you wrong continually. But it does mean you've got to forgive them even though they don't ask for it. Oh, I could never do that. Well, go ask Jesus. He did it. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And listen to me. We still don't know what we're doing. (laughs) He forgave people that were not asking for forgiveness. And if you want to be like Jesus, you've got to forgive like Jesus. And then he prayed two prayers at 
3 p.m. What is that? The afternoon time of prayer for the disciple, for the Jewish people. The first thing he prayed was, uh, the second thing he prayed was scripture. He prayed, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. He was forsaken of God momentarily so that you and I would not be forsaken of God eternally in hell. And then he prayed another scripture. He prayed Psalm 31, verse 5. And I, I pray, <laughs> this is just something, I pray that this is the last thing I'll ever say on this earth. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Wouldn't that be a great way to go? And that's how Jesus left this earth. And it was at 3 o'clock, the time of afternoon prayer. Jesus prayed on the cross. And then the Bible says, when he rose from the dead at Emmaus, the resurrected (coughs) sovereign Lord Jesus Christ would not put a morsel of bread in his resurrected mouth before he blessed the food. What is that? That's prayer. And what is he doing right now? Hebrews 7 says, Hebrews 7.25 says, he ever liveth to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. Do you know why you're going to make it as a Christian? Because Jesus is praying for you. Are you grateful? Can we just thank God, stop right now and praise his holy name that he's praying for us right now. Can we do that? Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The early Christians prayed. I could go on and on. We said, we don't doubt that. <laughs> we sure you could go on and on. But the early church, oh, they prayed. They had the anointing of God upon them because they prayed. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of one righteous man can accomplish much. I want to say this to you. God doesn't have to have huge numbers. Don't ever despise the day of small beginnings. If just a remnant of any church would come together and say, you know what? We're going to pray until the fire of God falls on this church. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not just saying this. I'm telling you, God will honor that kind of serious, dedicated prayer. So does prayer matter? Well, I'd say it does. Daniel, the moment you began praying, a command was given. Prayer moves the sovereign hand of God. Number two, and if you're worried, by the way, you shouldn't be. I'm driving back four hours to Memphis, so you'll be in bed way before me, okay? But the last two points go a lot quicker than the first one, okay? Number two, prayer reveals the will of God. How many of you would like to know God's will for your life? Anybody out there? Four of you? Apparently you didn't hear. I'll ask these people back here. How many of you people back here? Let me see. How many of y'all would like to know the will of God? None of them either. Let me ask you again, all right? How many of you would like to know the will of God for your life? Anybody out there? Oh, there you are. I would too. God talks to people who talk to him. God tells people who talk to him things that he doesn't tell people that don't talk to him. How many of you got grown kids? Anybody? I got four of them. I got 15 grandbabies. Ooh, I love those grandbabies. I'm glad I didn't swap one of my kids in just because of the grandbabies they've had. Amen? I love it when my kids call and they don't want anything. I just want to talk. I love it. Now I've got a, a couple of grandkids calling. That's the coolest thing in the world. Hey, Papa. I'm saying, cha-ching. That's awesome. Do you think maybe God likes to hear his children? He says, call unto me and I will answer you and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Prayer reveals the will of God. Look at chapter 9, verse 23. And now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you're very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of the vision. Now I'm here to tell you, Daniel, now that you've prayed, I'm here to 
tell you something. I, I'm going to talk to you because you talk to me. Daniel spoke to God, and then God spoke to Daniel. Daniel talked to God, then God talked to Daniel. Where have I seen that in the New Testament? Oh, yeah. Jesus' brother James, the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem, James 4, verse 8 Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. How many of you ever read that verse? Anybody? All right. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. When's the last time, I'm asking, when's the last time you shut the door and it was just you and Jesus, and you didn't have a little talk with Him? You got down on your face and you literally poured out your heart to God. When's the last time you got intimate with Jesus? Not just asking for another blessing, but just pouring out your heart to God. That's the kind of person God's looking for. Now I'm here to tell you, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with half of your heart. Is that right? Oh, all. Everybody say all. All means all, and that's all all means. With all of your heart. Are you seeking the Lord with all of your heart? Proverbs 3, 32, the Lord is intimate. That's what we're looking for, intimacy. The Lord is intimate with the upright. Jeremiah 33, 3, I said this a while ago, call unto me, I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Does prayer make a difference? Sure it does. Prayer reveals the will of God. Well, prayer moves the hand of God Prayer reveals the will of God. One more thing. This is the third thing. My wife said, if I saw a car wreck, she said, Steve Gaines, if you saw a car wreck, you'd say, I see three things about that car wreck. Well, I don't know about that. But here's the third thing. Prayer not only moves the hand of God and reveals the will of God, prayer blesses the heart of God. I love this verse. I love this translation of this verse. Look one more time, Daniel 9, 23. And now I'm here. I'm here to tell you what it was. Daniel. Hey, Daniel. You know what? Come here, boy. You are precious to the Lord. Guy didn't have a wife to go home to every day. He just went home to the Lord. He didn't have a lot of friends necessarily, but he had a friend in Jesus. And three times a day, he'd go talk to his friend, just him. He wasn't putting on a show. And God said, you're very precious to God. That's what the angel said. Now look, I'm glad you're precious to your family. I'm glad you're precious to your spouse. I'm glad you're precious to whoever out there. But I wonder, do you spend so much time with God? He would say, you know, you are unusual. <laughs> You're different, delightfully so. Oh, that's precious to me. I told you we've got 15 grandbabies. When they come into the house and they raise their little hands and say, Papa! You know what I do? I say, put your hands down. You're a Baptist. Is that what I say to them? No. I just eat them up. Amen. I just
this wishing almost. They're precious to me. If I, being evil, can think that toward my grandchildren, what do you think God is seeing right now in America? He's seeing people more concerned about elections than salvations. Elections are big. I understand that. I'm not putting anybody down. But could it be that God has put us into this weird year to wake us up a little bit and to say, listen, I can keep on with this for many more years if that's what you need. But I want to get your attention. I want somebody in my house to make my house a house of prayer. I want you to make your body a house of prayer. I want you to, sir, I want you to make your body a house of prayer. I want you to make your marriage a house of prayer. I want you to make your bedtime with your children a house of prayer. I want you deacons here at First Baptist Pelham. I want you to deek. <laughs> I want you to serve. And I want you to start with prayer. I want you staff members to really make this a house of prayer. I want you life group or Sunday school teachers or whatever you call it, you small group leaders, you disciple makers, I want you to make, when people say, First Baptist Pelham, the first thing I want them to know about you is, you know what, that's that bunch that prays over there in Pelham. You start praying, and you will be set apart by God. And that's the kind of church that God comes to. I'll say this to you. Don't ever forget what I'm about to say. You don't need to focus primarily on getting people in this building. Nothing wrong with inviting people. I'm all for it. But don't let that be your priority. Listen to what I'm about to say. Don't ever forget what I'm about to say. You start focusing on getting the presence of God in this building. And people are hungry for the presence of God. And you get God in this place. And do you know how you get God in this place? By praying. When God's people pray, God shows up. And when God shows up, the preaching's better. Nothing wrong with the preaching you got. He's a great preacher. But you know what? When God's all over it, it's, it's just like unbelievable. The singing gets better because it's not just the singers. It's God all over it. The teaching gets better. The fellowship gets better. And you sense the presence of God. I understand the omnipresence of God. I understand I'm really wanting to walk down there. Would y'all be scared if I did? Okay. I, I understand the omnipresence of God. I understand God is everywhere. But I want to tell you something. I believe in the manifest presence of God. And I believe that when you pray, God, His Spirit moves. In, wherever prayer focuses, God's presence falls. And what people are hungry for is the real deal. Not some fanatical thing. Not some formal thing, but just a biblical movement of the presence of Almighty God. And when God gets in the house, look at me, you won't have enough chairs to put the people in that will come. They will come from the north, they will come from the south, they will come from the west, they will come from the east. They will. People are hungry for the real deal. And it only starts and it only happens when we pour out our hearts to God. I'm almost through. I got one illustration. Would you let me tell it? I'll be up later than you, all right? I'm going to Memphis tonight. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a praying Baptist lady that I've never met. My daddy and mother grew up poor, they were on farms during the Great Depression. 
My daddy became the man of the house when he was in the ninth grade, had to quit school. He was a good student, but he had to quit school during the Great Depression to bring in a crop. He never went back to school. He went to World War II. He was 6'3", almost 6'4", weighed 150 pounds. He said everybody complained about the food in the Navy but him. He says the best food he ever had and all he could eat, amen. Gained 50 pounds in two and a half years. Came back after World War II, went all over the world on a ship. Came back, got a job on the Illinois Central Railroad, stayed on there 40 years. But when he and mom married, she had to quit school in the 11th grade, go to work. She worked at a cotton gin, and she also picked cotton. But when he, she was 24, they'd been married just a few years. She got double breast cancer, 24 years old. So they go to the doctor. He confirms it. She goes to the hospital. I know we got kids, so I'm, 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 but I got to tell you, she had a mastectomy, 24 years old. My mom and dad were both lost. They didn't know the Lord. They bring her to the room, and she's rooming, Pastor, with an older lady who had double breast cancer as well. She'd had both of her breasts removed. She knew the Lord, and she was a prayer warrior. My mother was semi-sedated, and she, they laid her in the bed. My mother had long, curly, blonde hair. And she said, Steve, my mother told me about this two or three times, always cried. She said, that lady got up in my bed, and she put my head down in her lap, and prayed for me all night for nine hours that God would heal me. A Baptist lady, I want to say that again, a Baptist lady prayed all night for my mother to be healed because she was going to have the other breast removed the next day. They came in the next day, went through the formality of checking my mom, couldn't feel the tumor. Tumors. Did the test. Everything was gone. God had healed my mother. And when she woke up fully, she had one breast. And she started crying. And she said, what happened? Now you think about a 24-year-old girl having a double mastectomy and find out she only had one mastectomy now. Just been married just a little over a year. And the lady said, God healed you last night. Jesus healed you. And that lady shared the gospel with my mother. My mother got healed and saved on the same bed. On the same bed. And give God praise for that. Amen. On the same bed. <laughs> and then that little Baptist, she wasn't through, man. She said, now, when you get back to Central City, Kentucky, that's where my mom and dad live. You find you a good Southern Baptist church, and you tell that pastor that you got saved and you got healed and you need to be baptized in water. And she went back to Central City Baptist Church. I was telling that up in Kentucky. I was preaching at a convention. And the pastor, young boy from Central City First Baptist Church, sent me my mother's card. The day she joined the church, she went to that pastor, not that young pastor, but that two pastors before him, maybe three, and said, I got saved, I got healed, I need to be baptized. Don't tell me God doesn't use prayer. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not a salesman when it comes to prayer, I'm a satisfied customer. I know we all believe in prayer. But would you do something? I left my phone up here. Come here, phone. If I drop this, don't get mad at me. All right, there it goes. Good. I, got, I knew, I knew. Yeah, thank you, brother. All right, appreciate that. 
Oh, I've preached 46 minutes. Oh, my soul. What is it? You know what it means for a preacher to look at his watch? Nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to turn it off. I don't care. All right, so. Now, I've preached on prayer. And some of y'all saying, I need to pray. What do I do? You may need to get off of these things. I'm not trying to beat you up, but some of y'all take better care of your phone than you do your soul. Because you plug that thing up every night, don't you? And you recharge. I'll say this to you. I didn't get to pray until later in the day today. But the moment I started praying, it was like a blanket of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Manifest presence of God. And I, I felt that closeness. There is nothing like prayer. There's nothing like it. And the good thing is, anybody can do it. You don't have to have a PhD to pray. I had a guy named Don. He said, I, I got a PhD. I said, what's that? He said, what's that? I said, what's that? He said, pray hard, Don. <laughs> pray hard. But would you commit your, look, your pastor prays. But would you start praying? And could we all just remember what they asked you? They never asked Jesus, teach us how to preach, teach us how to give, Teach us how to build buildings. Teach us how to... They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Not just how, but teach us to do it. You know how you do something? You do it. <laughs> you just start praying. Find somebody that knows how to pray a little bit better than you and start praying with them. And just start pouring out your heart to God. Get a couple of guys together and say, let's just start talking to Jesus and, and I'll share with you some burdens and you share with me some burdens and somehow when you start praying together, I don't understand, but when you get together where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. And the Bible says when you start praying together, God does things. When you pray and agree together, when you're in harmony with one another, when you are, the, the word is symphonos, when you're in symphony with one another and you're praying together, God does things when it's focused like that. I don't understand prayer, but I'm telling you, it works. It works. It works. Nine hours of prayer got my mom healed and saved. What could God do if 10% of the people in this room started praying? Change this side of Birmingham. Oh, you've always been a great church. I came here when I couple of services when I was I knew the pastor before him and I, 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 I want to say good church but I know it could even be greater if some of you deacons and some of you teachers and some of you ladies would really start getting serious about praying let's bow for a second I know it's late. If you want to know what time it is, it's 8.06. It's 8.06. Now that we know that, let's ask God. I don't, we don't need any music. We're fine. We don't need any music. We don't need any music. We're fine. I want to ask, first of all, the staff. If tonight you would commit to a specific time in prayer every day, seven days a week, it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever. I don't want to be legalistic. And it doesn't have to be the same time. But I want to tell you something. There's something about discipline. Nowadays, if you discipline yourself, people will call you a legalist when all you're doing is obeying God. 
discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Quit watching so much television. Quit getting on your phone so much. And get before the throne of God. And start pouring out your heart to God. I want to ask you staff members. And I'm going to recommit my life to do it. I, I've been doing it a long time, but I, I don't want to quit. I don't want to live a day without prayer. If you staff members, you say, I want to be dedicated to prayer. I want to, I want to make this house and my house a house of prayer. Just come stand with me if you would, real quick. And while they're coming, I want to ask you deacons. I'm telling you, some of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever met have been some of the deacons in our church. If you deacons out there and say, you know what? I want to be a prayer warrior. I tell you what, when you come up here, just talk to the Lord. Just be in prayer with the Lord. If you want to kneel, you want to stand up, do whatever you want to do. But I want to, I want to challenge you deacons. If you say, I want to be a man of prayer, come stand with us or kneel with us. Go ahead, come on. If you want to come, come. Now, look, if you're not committing to it, I'm not, I'm not beating up on you. This, this is a serious thing. Just come and you can kneel, you can stand, you can do whatever you want to do. But start just praying. Say to God, take my prayer life. And, and what I like to pray is, Lord, take my prayer life to another level without having to do, bring some tragedy in my life before it goes to another level. <laughs> I don't want it to go to another level because of tragedy. I want it to go to another level because of obedience. Now, whatever you call Sunday school or life groups, this could be women or men. If you say, I want the anointing of God on my life, I want to be more committed to prayer. Would you just come and kneel with us, pray with us? Any Sunday school teacher, life group leader, small group leader, whatever you call that. I'm going to go up to the platform while you come. Any other committee member, any soloist, any leader of any type, would you come and just say, I want, I want First Baptist Pelham to be a house of prayer. Would you come? Would you come right now? Any leader out there whatsoever. You say, I, I, want, I just want to be, this to be a house of prayer. Ushers, whatever, would you come? Just come and kneel. <clears throat> Now, if there's anybody else in the church, everybody is on level ground at the church. Leaders are nothing but servants. We're no big deal, okay? Jesus is the big deal. But if you say, Brother Steve, God has spoken to me tonight, and I want to be a person of prayer, would you just come and stand with us or kneel with us? Some of you young people come. I tell you what, some of the best prayer warriors you can have are teenagers, students, college students. I got turned on to the Lord when I was in college. He changed my life. By the way, I was the only one that walked forward that night when the altar call was given. I was the only one that walked forward. But Jesus changed my life. Just find a place, just you and the Lord. Stand kneel, however you want to do it. Let me lead us in a word of prayer, and then I want us to pray for your pastor, okay? Father, I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for them staying a little bit longer tonight. I know it's been a long sermon. I know, Lord, that uh, it's a school night. I know all those things. But, Lord, I also know that our nation is messed up. And I know that our churches are powerless. And, God, 
we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we know that when we look at the book of Acts, there's more to Christianity than what we're experiencing. We know that. When we look at the life of Daniel and we see, we see just a simple man and yet a disciplined spiritual man who prayed over 60,000 times and didn't even have a wife to encourage him. Couldn't come home to a fresh cooked meal but was a prisoner in a foreign land and yet he knew that this world was not his home and Lord you, you never said one word bad about him and he knew things when nobody else knew anything when Belshazzar couldn't read the writing he could read the writing on the wall God we need some Daniels and I'm just asking in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, I just wish I could touch every one of these people on the head. But Lord, my hand doesn't amount to anything. It's your hand. Lord, you put your nail-scarred hand on every one of these that's kneeling. And God, I'm asking you to burn within them the spirit of the living God and a fresh anointing upon them to pray like they've never prayed. I pray that they'll get with other people and pray. And I just pray that, Lord, they learn to pray by praying, dear God. Just like I saw one of my little grandkids this week over in Georgia. Learn how to walk by walking, dear God. Let these people learn to pray by praying. And let them get with people that know how to pray. And Lord, let them pray until the fire of God falls on this church, dear God. I'm asking that they would not let go until you bless them, dear God. I pray that they pray like Jacob, dear God, when he was there at Peniel, dear God. And I, I'm asking, dear Lord, that, that they will wrestle with you and that you will win. <laughs> and you will win, dear God. And you'll give them a Jacob's limp, that they would, they would lean on you the rest of their lives, dear God. And that they would walk with you, that some of these teenagers will walk with you, that they would be missionaries for the glory of Jesus Christ. Some of these young men will be preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of these people will see you do what only you can do because they pour out their heart to you, and you love it when your children pray. I pray that First Baptist Pelham will be a house of prayer, a house of worship, a house where the presence of God is here. Lord, don't let fanaticism come in, but don't let any formalism kill out what you want to do. Dear God, I'm asking for the real thing at this church. Now, some of you around your pastor right now, let's lay hands on him right now. Anybody can do it. It's fine. Just do it. Some of y'all come in here. Let's lay hands on your pastor right now. Lay hands on him right there. And if you can't lay hands on somebody, on, on him, lay hands this land on somebody that's laying hands on him right now. Do it right now. Father, we pray for Davin right now, and we thank you that you have brought him to this place. Father, our hands are nothing. We do it symbolically. We're asking for you to lay your hand upon him in a fresh way. And Lord, let him have a prayer life, Lord God, that is second to none. God, I pray that you would use this young man as a prayer warrior, dear God, that he would pray and the heavens would be open and the Spirit of God would come down and that he would see things in the Word of God that he's never seen, hear things from the Word of God that he's never heard, understand things from the Word of God that he's never understood and that you would speak to him, that he will hear your voice behind him saying, Davin, this is the way, walk in it whenever he turns to the right or to the left, that you would put a protective hedge around him and his children and his wife and everything he puts his hand to will prosper. Bless him. Indeed, enlarge his borders. Let your hand be upon him. Keep him from harm that he may not be pained. Bless these deacons. Bless these staff members. Bless these people. And God, I'm asking that a prayer anointing come upon this church. Do exceeding abundantly beyond all that I can ask or think. And God, we believe you're going to do it. And we give you praise. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's thank God what he's going to do at this church. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Hey, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. We're about to leave. Pastor's going to come up here and let you go.
But I want to say this to you. Revival, yes, I love to see people get saved. Yes, I love to people. We baptize people every week, and I thank God for it. But you know, you know what revival is? Revival is not for lost people. Revival is for God's people. I said revival is for God's people. Amen. Amen. Now look at me. You can't be revived until you're first vibed. Amen. You got to be saved before you get revived. But if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, what in the world is it going to take for you to give your heart to Christ? Man, don't you leave this building without giving your heart to Christ. I'll stay here and lead you to Christ. How many of you would lead somebody to Christ here tonight if they'd come? Look, just look around. Just grab somebody with a hand up, all right? And say, tell me about Jesus. And before you leave this place, you repent of your sins. That means you do a U-turn and you ask God to help you turn away from sin. And you believe in the Lord Jesus that he died on the cross for you. And he rose from the dead to give you eternal life. And you receive him into your life. You call upon the name of the Lord. And I know this about my God. It says it over and over in the Bible. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, say it with me, shall be saved. So you can be saved tonight. Amen. Thank you all for letting me be here. God bless you. I'm through. Pastor, it's all yours. All right.